Hey, we're in, we are in Luke chapter 18. We are in a series, again, called All In. Um, the idea here is, you know, when we, when we find these things that we want to go all in on, so we have these moments we push our chips to the center of the table, or in the case of Adam when he tried to do the 5-5 challenge at Highway 55, and it's all, it took everything he had to try to go all in, eat all that burger stuff. Every time we go all in, there's always going to be the chance to come back out, right? So there's always this obstacle that we're going to face. And so we're kind of working through Luke 18. If you're here for the first or maybe the second time, we're working through Luke 18 and just talking about these, these things that we as a church want to be all in on, right? Um, the last three weeks have been fantastic. This morning, uh, we're going to be in verses 18 through 30. Now, listen, let me ask you this. Wouldn't it be great if going all in was just a one-time decision? That'd be fantastic. It's not. You know that, right? Let me just talk to those of you that are here that maybe don't really love Jesus. You're not even sure about the Jesus thing. You're, you're at church today, but you're not sure if you're even all in on him. You already know that this principle is true. Let me just give you a couple of, a couple of examples. Um, if you're married, how many of you know that the wedding was a one-time event? But the marriage is multiple, multiple moments of saying, I'm going to stay in, Right? All in is not a one-time event. Um, if you are here and you've ever started a business or a ministry, if you've ever started something, you know that starting it is a one-time event. Man, I'm, gonna, I'm starting a business. I'm going to change the world. But staying in business, holy cow. Can I get an amen from the people in the business world, right? Or maybe an oh me, right? Staying in business is like, man, that's so many moments you have to decide I'm going to stay in this business. How about one more? <laughs> I love people that set goals. Don't you love goal setters? And they always post on social media, right? This year, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to whatever. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read X number of books. I mean, we're so bad as a society. We set the goal, and then we tell everybody what the goal is, and then we get all the feedback, right? Everybody likes that post. They're like, oh, that's amazing. You're going to do great. We get all that feedback, and then two or three weeks later, we're like, ah, I didn't realize, like, losing weight meant I couldn't eat food I like, right? And so then we just, like, it's one thing to say you're going to do it, set the goal, but, man, staying in it requires a million decisions along the way. You get the idea. Today, um, we're going to meet a rich, a rich young ruler in Matthew, I'm sorry, in Luke 18. And we're going to find a rich, a rich ruler who asks a question that leads to a question that he wasn't quite prepared for. Here's what he's going to learn. This is, this is the big idea that he learns in this passage. He's going to learn that finding Jesus is one thing. Following Jesus is another. Finding Jesus is one thing, but following Jesus is a whole other thing. We talk about going all in on following Jesus. We're not just all in on finding Jesus You've already found Jesus if you're here today. Man, he's here in this place. Following him is a whole other thing. So let's, let's read Luke 18, uh, 18 through 30. And I'm going to give you a couple things that uh, we can learn about the cost of following Jesus. Here we go in verse 18. Once a religious ruler, asked, a religious leader asked Jesus this question, Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, know the commandments. You must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Verse 21, the man replied, I've obeyed all these questions, these commandments since I was young. Have you ever asked somebody a question that you already knew that you knew the answer for? Don't you love people like that? They'll ask you a question and you're like, oh, I don't know. And then they'll tell you the answer to the question that they just asked. 
This man asked Jesus a question that he knew he had the answer for. He knew these commandments. He'd kept these commandments. He could just hear, as Jesus is answering these, he's like, well, do this, and you need to do that. And he's like, can you just see his chest going out a little bit more every time? Like, oh, yeah, I've been doing that since I was a little boy. And then Jesus said this, verse 22, there's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Finding Jesus is one thing. Following Jesus is another. And when the man heard this, he became very sad because he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. I'm not going to dive into that, but a lot of theologians have tried to figure out, like, that's not really an, like going through an eye of a needle. It's like something in the construction in Jerusalem in that day. Can I just tell you this? No. What Jesus is saying here is, you know what a needle looks like? It's actually harder for a camel, for somebody, a rich person to be saved than for a camel to go through that eye. Which is why Peter said, then who in the world can be saved? Verse 26. And Jesus replied, what is impossible for people is possible with God. And Peter said, we've left our homes to follow you. Yes, Jesus replied. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children, this is not something you should do today. Okay, I know you're like, I can do that. You fought in the car on the way to church, and you're like, well, if I'd have known that, I'd have squeezed my wife in that offering box and given her to Jesus too, right? That's not what he's saying, okay? It's not what he's saying at all. He said, if you give that up for the sake of the kingdom of God, you will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. Let's pray. Father, right now in your name, Jesus, I'm asking that you would help me just in the next few moments to speak clearly, God, about the things that you want to tell us from this passage. We do not want to be a church that is all in on just finding you. We want to be all in on following Jesus. No matter what it costs, we don't want to hang our heads like this rich ruler and walk away because the cost was more than we thought. So God, I'm asking that you, by your spirit, would just, uh, man, strengthen us in our hearts and solidify in our soul that we have found a Savior worth following. In your name, Jesus, amen. So sometimes we get caught up in all the things that we've done, right? This is so, this is so church, church people, man. We're, like, this is how we are. We start telling God all of the things that we've done, like these commandments. That ritual is like, I've done all these things since I was a, a little bitty kid. We get so caught up in that, and that's where this ruler was. So when he asked Jesus this question that he knew the answer to, Jesus responded the way that only Jesus can. He applied pressure to the one area in this man's life that wasn't fully committed. Now, I don't know what that area is for you. I don't know what that area is for you, but I know for this rich ruler it was money. Jesus heard the question. He kind of played along for a little bit, and then all of a sudden he was just like, bam. Have you ever had that happen to you? Like when the Holy Spirit just takes, like you ever been reading the Bible verse, and all of a sudden it's just like, boom, oh, uh, things escalated quickly, right? You know, it's kind of having your morning devotion, sipping some coffee, and you read this one verse, and it just leaps off the page, and it just cuts you open, and you're like, holy cow, I was not even thinking about that. And then the Holy Spirit just like, Exposed me. Uh, I need to share a story with you that um, is a little bit sensitive. Please don't laugh too much if you don't mind at all. But um, after Sydney was born, I had a vasectomy. Uh, 
I did say vasectomy. I had a vasectomy because I wanted to be one with my wife. She'd given birth to three children. I thought it's the least I could do. Now we are united. Because I'm sure that what I experienced is exactly what you experienced when, <laughs> right? Getting a vasectomy, I'm not going to talk in detail about this. You can Google it and have some good lunchtime conversation with your children if they're in the room. But I will say this, it was without doubt the most awkward thing I've ever done. Let me tell you why. I show up and you're in the waiting room with a bunch of dudes and they all look the same. Like nobody's walking out going, what are you here for? They all know, right? They're all, and they're all talking really deep like, yeah, I'm a man. But they're coming out like, I was a man. <laughs> it's weird, right? So crazy. So, so crazy. So I uh, finally, it's my turn, you know, and like, I don't know, guys, I mean, women, I get it. Like, I think you're used to this stuff maybe because you, like, you have to do all this crazy stuff in hospitals that's just vulnerable. But men, we're usually the ones that are like, push, 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 and we fall out and pass out the whole deal. Like, we're not cut out for this. And they called me back, and it was my turn. And, you know, like some some nurse assistant person said, like, just go in the room, strip, put on the gown that's waiting for you. Great, fantastic. So not only am I super, super nervous, I also have on a gown that's apparently not going to cover me nearly enough. I'm in a room all by myself sitting on a table, and you're just like, what do you do? You're like, become like this little kid, right? Your feet don't touch the ground, so you just, like, back and forth through your feet, and you're just kind of like, well, okay, looking around. All of a sudden, the door opens, and in walks uh, this grandma. Hey, what are you doing here? Uh, oh, I'm just here for you, just to support you. Sweet. Are you bringing cookies? I mean, what is, what's happening right now? I mean, she literally was like 95 years old, and I'm laying down. The doctor's, like, got my feet up, and he's preparing, right? And so I'm super like, I can't make eye contact with you at all. I'm like looking all over here. And then I look over here and it's grandma. I can't look there either. It's just so, so, so weird. Like, I felt so vulnerable, right? And then when it could not get any worse, I'm thinking it cannot get any worse. Now, granted, I'm a man, right? I really am a man. I'm a man in this moment. And this doctor who is about my age looks up passed me at the grandma, and he said these words. I could not make it up if I wanted to. He said, do you hear that? Hear what? Do you hear that? It sounds like a bumblebee. I was like, oh, grandma, help me out. What's happening? Right? I'm like laid up in front of God and everybody, there's a bumblebee in here? What is going? And he's like, it's like a bumblebee. It's just like it's flying all around. And he's like, they need to give me the shot. Oh, oh, I get it. You thought I was a boy. You played like it was a bumblebee, but it was a shot. You're weird, right? That is crazy. Like, I've never felt more exposed, literally, than I did in that moment. And here's the thing. In, in Hebrews 4, verses 12 through 13, we find out that now the Bible doesn't give you a vasectomy, but the, the Bible does a really good job of exposing us. Check this out. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword bumblebee thing, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Check out the next verse. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything 
is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he's the one to whom we are accountable. Listen, that's what the word of God does. We come to Jesus and we say, I just want to find you, Jesus. Can you just assure me that I have found you and I'm going to be okay? And in Jesus, through the word of God, in our story, he does it verbally because he's talking to somebody. But for us today, it's through the Bible. He will always ask us a question that applies pressure to the one area that we've wanted to keep hidden because he exposes that. Listen, the difference between finding and following is the difference between hearing and doing. James 1.22 says this, don't just listen to God's word. Do what it says. Otherwise, you're fooling yourselves. The difference between finding and following is the difference between hearing and doing. Listen, if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to be people who don't just want to find him, but we want to follow him, if we're all in on following Jesus, we're going to have to be all in on doing what his word says, on hearing it and responding to it. Our response to his word is everything. And wouldn't it be nice if the response was always easy? Like if everything he called us to do was like, oh, I got that. Oh, you're asking about that. Oh, you asked me to be like handsome. Check. You want me to be super cool? Got it. But he calls us to things that we don't even know if we have it. He calls us to things that are hard. We say that we're all in, but staying all in, that's a whole different matter. It's not difficult to find him. It's hard to follow him. Man, it can be tough. Some of you here, you weren't with us at the beginning. Can I just tell you that this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. It's also the most rewarding. So you are part of the greatest reward I've ever had. But for those of you who weren't here at the beginning, can I just give you just a taste, a few stories, just a few stories to tell you what it was like to plant a church in a coffee shop up the street. You ready? Just just a couple things that maybe you weren't here for. I remember being given a six-pack as an offering. It's still in your shop, isn't it? Connie didn't give it to me, just so you know. (laughs) A man that walked in, he he was homeless, and he walked in, and he said, all I have is... My, this is my prized possession. And I was like, I was expecting car keys, right? And he handed us a six-pack. That's like, what do you do with that? Let's partake together now. Right? <laughs> Where's the bread? <laughs> we'll do communion. It'll be awesome. Right? I remember breaking up a fight on the sidewalk outside the coffee shop as Phil and Jennifer finished their last song. Because I think what I actually said to the two people who were fighting was, we're going to have to wrap this up because i got to go preach next. I remember baptizing people in a very, very, very small water trough. Now, we have this huge thing now that, and I know I'm going to, it's just the way my mind works. Just let me be unfiltered for a second. The thing that we have now is awesome. It's like this 750-gallon 800-gallon feeding thingamajig from, that we got from the tractor supply place. And when you fill it with water and you put our little orange light behind it, it looks like beer. I know I just ruined every baptism service from now on, but it does. But back in the day when we didn't have that, 
we would go outside the back of the coffee shop, and we would borrow from Mooney's Feed Mill, like this little feeding trough. It's like that's about how deep it was. We would have people sit, and then I would lay them. I almost gave Thomas Covington a concussion one time, baptizing him, because he's so tall, and he's so thick, and I'm such a wuss, right? And it's like, bam! But he's good now. I mean, somewhat good now. Um, but I remember, I remember being out back one time, and I think it was, I think it was when Tiffany got baptized. But we were doing a baptism service. There were like three or four people that wanted to get baptized. And when it was all said and done, this guy who'd been coming to church maybe two weeks was like, Pastor, I want to get baptized. And I was like, sweet. Uh, I don't have any clothes for you. And he's like, it's all good. And he like unzipped his jeans and stripped down to his boxers and stepped in the water. I don't know if I want to touch you right now. I don't know what's going on, right? Like, Grandma, help, right? It's weird. It's weird, man. And so we baptized him. Hey, I love this one. I love this story. Oh, my gosh. Back when um, we were in the coffee shop, so, like, you know, it, it's, it's really wide and it's not very deep. And so, like, you know, there was no stage. It was like worship team would just be right here, and then the front row was there, right? I mean, like, that's how we worshiped. It was crazy. And there was this one Sunday that I was filling in, so I'm leading worship on the keyboard, and um, we had, somebody else was singing with us that day. And um, I, I don't mean any disrespect. I just don't know. I can't remember his name, but I'm going to call him Crazy Eyes. He just had those, like, you know, he would look at you, but also at somebody else. He just had Crazy Eyes, right? Um, and so he, he, he wanted to join the worship team during worship, so I'll never forget this. He'd been, he'd been telling me for a while, like, I really, I really, want, I want, I really want to sing. I want to be not worshiping him. And he was a little bit scary. A little, I mean, it was kind of normal. But, you know, we have, we have kind of crazy people here anyway. But he was, he was just kind of different, you know, and um, very big and tall and, and just kind of towered over you. And, like, whatever you want, man, just do it. It was weird. But one, that one Sunday, I'm leading worship. And so literally – I don't like to look at people when I lead worship because if you're looking at me, it makes me nervous, so I just close my eyes and sing to Jesus, right? So like, sing to Jesus, the whole deal. So I'm, I'm leading worship, and every time I'd open my eyes, like, I saw him, he was at the door. Oh, he's here today. You know, I'm, I'm singing to Jesus, but I'm thinking, like, oh, he's here today. Da -da -da -da. Open my eyes, he's, like, at the back row. <laughs> sing to Jesus. He's right there. What What is happening right now? And then... He's on the front row. He's, boom, he's like right there. I mean, you guys see, it's like every 10 seconds I'm opening my eyes, and he's somewhere different. And, you know, we're a new church. We don't know, like, how to have greeters and stuff. We'd just be like, welcome to church. Find a seat. Good luck. And so I'm watching this guy, like, make his way. I'm like, what, is he, what exactly is he doing? I'm not totally sure what's happening, and I have there's nobody coming. Nobody. I'm like, where, where? Where, where are the people <laughs> that are supposed to help me right now? We don't have that team, right? And so then the next time I opened my eyes, he wasn't there anymore. And I was like, well, oh, somebody must have taken him. Whoa, hey, there you are. Wow, that's grandma's seat. What are you doing? <laughs> it's crazy. Like he is, and then he's like, he, he was leaning into the mic, and he was trying to sing. And we're, I was just like, what are you? I mean, you can't stop and just go, time out. What are you doing? You can't do that. You just got to love Jesus and keep singing. I mean, these are the things when you hear God say stuff like, you should plant a church. You don't think any of that's going to happen. You don't think that you're going to be cussed out after church multiple times by the same person who keeps coming back. Why are you still here? 
did you forget to tell me something else? Is there another name that you forgot to call me? You came back to tell me that again? But that same person eventually would say, I've never been loved by anybody like this church. Listen, we think it's easy to follow. If it was easy to follow, this rich ruler wouldn't have hung his head and walked away. It's hard, but it's so worth it to follow Jesus. We need to remember this, that there's nothing that you and I have sacrificed that has not gone unnoticed by God. I know how it is because I was raised in church. I know, man, like, I, don't take this the wrong way. Every story I just told you, they're funny, but they're not nearly as hard as dealing with church people. And I'm, I'm a church person. I have to deal with myself, right? I'm not trying to make, make you feel bad. I'm just saying, like, if you were raised in church, we have a whole nother level of stuff. And our stuff is, well, I've done all this for you, God. When are you going to do something for me? Oh, I'm so glad I'm here, Pastor Paul. I'm here to solve your church problems. Oh, <laughs> those are the people you're like, I have a church for you. It's not this one. <laughs> right? The Lord's given me a ministry. That's great. He wants you to do it. No, he does not want me to do your ministry, right? Like, we have a whole other level of stuff. And what I want you to know is that's where Peter was. That's where the disciples were. When Jesus was talking about, like, it's hard for rich people to be saved, it's harder for that to happen than it is for a camel to squeeze through a really low, little small eye of a needle. Their response was, I, I know, I don't know if I can actually, I say it all the time, but they had an oh crap moment, right? They're just like, oh, well, who can be saved? If, that, if a rich person who in our culture we believe is blessed by God, that's why they're rich. If they can't be saved, who can be saved? And can't you just hear Peter go, Jesus, like, are you kidding me? I've given everything for you. I've gone all in. I'm all in. I've done everything for you. And now you're telling me it's impossible, almost impossible for people to be saved. What? Isn't that how we are? Don't you see what I've done for you, God? I've done, I've done all this for you. I've given so much for you. And what I want you to know is that no sacrifice that you and I have ever made is not noticed by God. Just a couple verses, just to prove it. Luke chapter 12, verse 7. It says, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. I get it. God counts more over some of you than others. But he knows every hair on your head. And, and one of my favorites is Psalm 56, 8. You keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. Man, I love that. He is aware of where you are. He knows what you've given to him. He knows what it's cost, and he's collecting it. What's the promise for those of us who are all in on following Jesus? Listen, verses 29 and 30. Let me read to you again. Verses 29 and 30. Here's what he says. Verse, I assure you, Jesus said, that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children, can I just take that a little bit further for, in my case, or the full-time salary at a comfortable church so you can follow God into a church plant? Can you relate? Yeah. Or whatever you gave up when you said yes to following Jesus, when you thought it was going to be easier than it actually is, and you have this moment where the Spirit of God exposes you, and you're like, oh, if I'd have known that. But I'm, I'm, in, I'm in now, so I'm not going to back out now, right? But if I'd have known that, man, this is hard. 
If I had known the doctor was going to say that, if I had known that the person that was close to me was going to do that, if I had known all that, Jesus is saying, everything that you've given up, and, and listen to what he says, in this life will be repaid many times over in this life. So it's, we're not just hanging on to get to heaven so we get blessed. He's going to do it in this life. In this life. The promise for those of us who are all in on following Jesus, listen, is that the payback is greater than the payout. Come on, that's good. That was like a chance for you to go, dude, Paul's on fire. The payback from God is greater than the payout from us every single time. When you're all in on following Jesus, his payback's greater than the payout. And I know what you're thinking, so I'm just going to say it out loud. You're like, yeah, I get it, Paul, but Peter, he said he was all in, but we all know that he denied Jesus later. Maybe you weren't thinking that, but I'll just go ahead and can we hammer that for a second? We hammer the fact that we want to say, well, that, that moment where he said he was all in doesn't really count because I know later he denied him. Can I just tell you this? This is something for you to write down. When it comes to following Jesus, we can because he has and he will. We can follow because he has done things and he will do things. It doesn't matter what Peter did in his past. It doesn't matter what Peter was going to do in the future. Do you don't think Jesus knew that? We can follow Jesus because of who God is and because of what God has done and will do. Jesus, when he calls us to follow him, requires that we move with him. It requires that we obey his word. Peter definitely denied Jesus later on. But guess what Jesus did later? He restored Peter right back and said, now you're going to be fruitful in ministry. You're like, here, let's go. Come on, you're still following me. I've got you. I'm going to be faithful even if you aren't. I love that. Can I just give you a couple verses just to build your faith, and we're going to wrap this thing up. Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6 says this, And I am certain that God, who began the good work in you, will continue his work until it's finished. I love in the New Living Translation, it says, until it is finally finished. How many of you feel like that? You feel the finally, right? You're like, oh, finally. I know, like, I'm just thinking about the building, right? We're like, you know, when we, when we bought that building, um, I'm, I, you can't make this stuff up. When we bought that building, the very next, that day, the day I put on Facebook that we bought the building, somebody in the church sent me a text and said, so church in the new building Sunday? I wish, but at that point, we're like, oh, I'll give it four, five, six months, two years. Two years, people. I mean, you know that. Setup team, where are you at? Setup team, where are you at? They're like taking a nap right now. Man, set up and tear down team. They know. They're like, oh, I know. It's, it's, I know exactly how long it's been. To the minute, I know how long it's been, right? Listen, finally, man, sometimes in our lives, we're just like, God, when will it finally be over? When will we finally make it? You've got to know this. We are following a Savior who is faithful to finish what he began in you and in me until it's finally finished. He's not going to take us almost there. He's taking us all the way there when it's finally finished. I love 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians 5.24. That's a tough one to say, Thessalonians. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. If you have it in the New International Version, it says, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. I love that. Love that. And then, listen, 
I, I'm not a big financial guy, but I know this about investing. If you do any kind of investing, you've heard this phrase, past performance does not guarantee future. So nobody here invests. Okay. Past performance, <laughs> past performance does not guarantee future results. Am I right about that? Yeah. So if you, if you invest, you're going to read that all the time because they're like, hey, don't hold us to the past. Whatever happened back then, well, somebody got 25% in a year, that doesn't mean you're going to get it now. Can I just tell you this? When it comes to following God, that is true. His past performance guarantees his future results. Every single time. Listen to this, Isaiah 43. Now I'm going to wrap this up. Verses 16 through 19. Here's what God says to Israel. Now listen, I can't read the whole chapter to you. I wish I could. Just, in your, just jot down Isaiah 43. Circle it about a 500 million times and tell yourself I'm going to read this chapter this week. Because this is why it's so important. The entire chapter is about a faithful God being followed by unfaithful Israel. And the promises in this chapter are amazing. And when you read it through the filter of, wait, these are really good. And these people weren't really good. I can relate. Like they had a bad week and he still said all this stuff, right? And here's just a few of them. Just check this out. Verse 16, he says, I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters making a dry path through the sea. Now, just remember that in verse 16, we talked about water and sea. Okay, you got that? Here we go. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves, and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. But forget all that. That's like when you tell somebody really good news, and they're like, that's amazing. You're like, forget that, because that's not even the good stuff. He's, that's his God talking, God, right? So this is like me and you getting up and giving a testimony, and God stands up and goes, shut up. That's not even the good stuff. That's what I did back then. Forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I am about to do something new. Listen, everybody wants new until they have it, right? Men in the room that are married, does your wife tell you that you need new jeans? And you're like, I'm perfectly content with the ones that I have worked hard to stretch out to fit my body, right? You get new jeans, they're like, I got you some new jeans. And you're like putting them on, you're like, oh, these are fantastic. Wow, these are, these are great. I love the new jeans. You hate them. You're like, wash them. You're driving your car over them, right? They're, just, they're like anything to break them in, right? Everybody wants new until they have it because new's not comfortable. God says, I'm going to do something new. So it's okay when he starts to do something new if you're kind of like, I liked it better the old way. Everybody does. But the old way passes. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? Now check this out. I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in a dry wasteland. Here, here's why I think that's so important. Because if I'm an Israelite and I hear the first verse, remember verse 16, what, what did he make a way through? Do you remember? The sea. I think the Israelites were like, by the time they got to verse 19, they were like, well, that's cool and all, but we're not in the sea. Have you checked it out, God? We're in a desert. Seriously, God? I mean, in the past, you made a way through the sea. Great. But it's not going to help us now because no water anywhere. And he said, I'm going to do something new. And I didn't just make a way in the sea. I can make a way in the wilderness. I love that about our God. He's always doing something new. He makes a way 
no matter where we find ourselves. Now, I, I got to finish this message, and I got to tell you that God took me to Dallas this past week just to drive that last point home to me, okay? So can I just tell you my, the end of my trip to Dallas? Um, person I sat next to in row 18, if you're watching this, I hope you are. Told you I'd tell the story. I, I, I got on my flight late. Um, I was flying from Dallas to Atlanta and from Atlanta to Charlotte, and so I had plenty of time. I got dropped off like at 9.30 in the morning in Dallas for a 12.45 flight because I was at the ca- I was a captive rider in a car, and they had to drop me off so they could get to where they were going. So I'm sitting at the airport, and I'm like, this is cool. You know, I whip out my, my this is a book I'm reading. I'm reading this book, and um, and the, the first thing pops up and goes, hey, the flight's delayed, and so be, I had this app. So Delta, mad props to Delta for, um, I know they get a lot of bad press, but they have a really good app, and so the app alerted me, like, hey, your flight's been delayed, you might not make your connecting flight in Atlanta, would you like to rebook all through this app, and I was just like, press a button, press a button, press a button, done, I was like, that is stinking cool, like, I'm glad I got delayed just so I could see how that worked, right, so I rebooked my flight in Atlanta, and so now my new flight in Atlanta leaves at 7.04, and I'm still going to get, I'm going to get home later than I wanted to, but I'll still at least get home, right, and you know, when you're traveling, getting home is a good thing. Until it got delayed again. And finally, the new flight was leaving like at 3.15. And so I was supposed to, like, it wasn't alerting me that I needed to rebook my flight in Atlanta. So I'm, I'm thinking maybe I'm okay. I don't know. I asked, the, um, when I got on the plane, I asked the person, the flight attendant, I said, look, I have a connecting flight in Atlanta. It leaves at 7.04. Am I going to be okay? And she went like, well, I think we're supposed to touch down at 6.30. So I was like, I know, so like that's 34 minutes if my math is right. So am I good? And she was like, eh, we'll see. It's not what you want to hear. You don't want your, like, be the person of faith, right? Don't be like, eh, we'll see. So I sit down, and I'm in 18E, and I sit down, and um, and this this lady that I'm sitting next to, we, we strike up a conversation. She found out that I was going to be connecting in Atlanta, and she's from Atlanta. So she, like, whips out the same app that I do, and I'm like, what, 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 are, you, what are you doing? She's I'm looking for other flights. Why are you looking for other flights? I'm not sure you're going to make that one. Sweet. The next flight out of Atlanta was, like, at 1030. And she's like, well, you could probably rent a car, drive home. I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not renting a car. Like, I just want to get home, but I'm not going to rent a car and drive five hours from here to, to Albemarle. Um, so we're just going to have to go with it, right? So we're getting closer and closer and closer. They're like, we're making up time in the air. It's fantastic. We're, we land. We actually touch down at 630. By the time we're to the gate, it's like 646. My flight leaves at 704. We're supposed to land at gate A. And I'm supposed to fly out of gate B. I, don't, I know the alphabet. I know those are close. That seems like it's good. But then when we're pulling into the gate, I heard my, my new friend that was sitting next to me. She said, oh, I'm so sorry. It's like, are you talking to an invisible person? Are you talking to me, right? She's like, I'm talking to you because we're not going to gate A. It's like, what, what gate are we going to? We're going to gate T. Now I know the alphabet. I'm like, a was close to B, but T is no, it's not even in the neighborhood, right? Well, as it turns out in Atlanta, T is only one gate further down from B, but she's like, still, now you got to get through two gates, I mean, to two terminals. You got to get two, two more terminals over. So I said, am I going to make it or not? And she's like, well, here, here's the thing. I think if you can get off the plane quickly and you can get to the, uh, the train that whatever takes you from terminal to terminal, she's like, if you'll get there right as it's getting there and you'll jump on, I think you're going to make your connecting flight. It's going to be close. So as soon as the plane lands, we get to the gate. What does everybody do? 
they all stand up, right? And they're all getting their luggage out. They, nobody's going anywhere. Like, if you've ever gone to India with us and you're in the back, like, just, you know, pull a meal out. You're not moving, right? And so I, I'm, I'm not super aggressive when I'm a traveler. And so my new friend was like, you might want to be a little aggressive. So a little aggressive for me works out like this. Excuse me. <laughs> like, I have a 7 o'clock connecting flight. Can I get by you? And so I worked, my, I worked the crowd. I was, I, was, I was proud of myself, and I got all the way from row 18 to row 16. <laughs> and I tapped this man on the, he was, like, he was like half in and half out. I tapped him on the shoulder. I was like, excuse me, sir, I need to get to a 7 o'clock flight. And he, he turned around, and he was like, me too. I was like, dude, there's power in two of us. Let's go together. We can bulldoze our way through, right? And so I'm just like, everybody, I'm talking, and we're not moving at all. And so I'm, there's a mom and a daughter in front of me, and they're like, You're, are you going to Charlotte? Yeah, are you going to Charlotte? Yeah, that's four of us. We can do this, right? And there's a pregnant lady behind us, and she's going to Charlotte. I'm like, pregnant lady? That's like the trump card of travel, right? <laughs> like, just like, just start screaming. People will be diving. See, anyway. Finally, they come over the intercom. They're like, there are people trying to make a connecting flight. If you could just give them space to get by. So we start moving. Now it's like, it's like five to seven. It's crazy close, right? And so we go off the plane. We go down the steps to where the train is. I look up the clock. The train's coming like in a minute. And I'm striking up this conversation with the man that w wasn't going to move. He's like, I got a 7 o'clock flight too. And he was so positive that we weren't going to make the flight. I was like, I, I think we can make it. He's like, we ain't going to make it. We're not going to make it. We're not going to make it. We're not going to make it. I was like, okay, whatever. I don't know. So we get on the train. We get to, to Terminal B. We come off Terminal B. We're flying. I'm checking my watch. It's so, so close. We go to the escalator to go up from, like, the train up to where the gates are, right? And it is, like, going to heaven. It's so, so high. And the man that said we weren't going to make it, he got on first and didn't move. He just, so then he, it's him, it's me, it's pregnant lady, and it's mom and daughter. And uh, like a whole lot of steps. And we're moving slowly. And I'm like, now I know why you were sure that we weren't going to make it, because you were going to block us. I wanted to say, get behind me, Satan, right? You know? <laughs> but instead, I took the other approach. I was like, you seem very certain that we're not going to make this. How do you know that? And he goes, just casually, he goes, I have three million Three million miles flying with Delta. We're not going to make this flight. Holy cow. Three, mi three million miles. That's exactly what I said back to him. He's like, I've been flying for 30 years doing business like, and using Delta to do it. We're not going to make it. It's like he's not a newbie to the Atlanta airport. And so at that point, I'm like, I want to have faith, but I guess I should pull that app out and rebook to the 1030 flight, right? And so we finally get to the top of that long escalator, and I've zipped past slow guy, right? And I've got my back, my suitcase. I'm going as fast as I can, and we're like, we're like B, I think I saw B14, B12, and B10. You sank my battleship. See how that worked? So, like, I saw it. I saw a B10, and I wanted to run, but I wanted to be cool. You know, I didn't know, I, I didn't know what to do. Like, I, I don't want to be the guy running through the terminal, especially if pregnant lady's not running. So she wasn't, I was like checking it. She, she wasn't running, so I'm just like pulling my thing really fast, you know? And I get up, I've never had to say, I get, I'm coming up to B10, as they said over the intercom, the thing that you've heard in airports, and you always pity the people. Like, it's one thing when they say it's the final boarding call, it's a whole other thing when they use your name. And I heard them say, final boarding call for B10, for Jenkins, and then all the other names that I don't know, slow guy, whatever. <laughs> and I come walking up, and I was like, I'm Jenkins, and I'm here, and everybody else is behind me. 
And he was like, I figured that was probably y'all. So I go past the, the gate guy, dude, and I'm going down on the little ramp that goes to the airplane. And as I'm making the turn to get to the plane, I heard, we're not going to make it, guy. He said to the gate agent, I didn't think we had any chance of making this flight. And I thought, my God can make a way. Even in a crazy, delayed flying day, he can make a way. I sat on that plane. I was like, man, God, you're good. He'd have been good if I hadn't made the flight. But it wouldn't have been nearly as good a story for this sermon. <laughs> Let me just tell you this. I cannot guarantee you that if you go all in on following Jesus that you'll have an easy life. I don't even think Jesus guarantees that. But, man, I can guarantee that he'll take your hand and he'll lead you and he'll make a way where there's no way. And he will, he, I mean, when you get to things that you didn't know were coming, when you're leading worship and crazy I man is like right in your face, he will tell you what to do. He will show you what to do. He will provide just what you need in that moment. If, if, you'll allow the Word of God to just set you bare before Him. Not hide things from Him. Okay, that's my hidden sin. I'll give you everything else but not that, right? No, give it all to Him. Because when we give it all to Him and we go all in on not just finding Him but on following Him, man, He leads us places. We have amazing stories because the things that feel really hard now really build people's faith later. You just start telling people, here's what God's done in my life. So if you're here this morning and, and you, you want to be all in on following Jesus, especially if you're all in on following Jesus and you're starting to hit areas that you never saw coming, right? Like, oh, if I'd have known that was going to happen, I might have still been all in, but oh, this is hard. Can we just close this morning praying for you? And can I just call you if you're here this morning, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus Man, I want to invite you to do that. Man, this is the best thing I've ever done. Not, not plant the church. This is pretty cool. But following Jesus, best decision I ever made. And it will be the best decision you ever make as well. You'll have some amazing stories that you'll get to tell about his faithfulness. And so if you're here and you've never made that decision to follow him, I want to invite you to, to meet us. Just pull, get a connection card. Just check that box. Man, I'm following Jesus. I'm choosing to follow Jesus today. Let us pray with you. And help you get started on that journey. We just close your eyes, bow your heads. Let's pray and let's, um, let's wrap this up. Father, in your name, Jesus, those of us that are here today, and we are all in, God. I mean, at one point, we just wanted to find you. But now, we, we don't ever want to leave you. We want to be with you all the way to the end. We're all in on following you. I love what Andrew and Dar are doing. I love the, just the image that that is for us as we wrap this morning up. And when we say yes to following you, who knows where you're going to lead us? But, man, we don't ever want to let go of your hand. And so I pray for those in this room that right now are kind of like that rich ruler. They're pretty sure they're all in on following you, but what's happened is your spirit through the word has just started to put pressure on an area of their life that they're just not quite sure about. I pray that this morning just hearing Verses like Philippians 1, 6, that you're going to finish what you started. That God, hearing these stories about your faithfulness in the history of our church would just build their faith to hold your hand even tighter and trust that you're taking them to a good place. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.